Hey everyone, welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week, four to six of us get together and discuss a movie. At the end of the episode, we announce the movie for the following week. All movies are available from streaming services, either as part of your subscription or to rent. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Felicia Walker. Hi there. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And today we are going to be discussing uh, my suggestion, Wise Blood, um, movie from 1979 by John Huston, starring the great Brad Dourif. Uh, but first, we're going to be talking about what we've been watching recently, and I have finished 90 Day Fiance. Um, I have nothing left but <laughs> episodes that have yet to air for anybody, so I've actually got stuff to talk about this week. Um, I watched a bunch of Netflix uh, limited series documentaries. Uh, I watched the Jeffrey Epstein Filthy Rich documentary. I watched one called Trial by Media. That is a six-part series on um, how public opinion in the media may have gotten some of the cases wrong or persuaded juries about something in the wrong direction. Um, I watched the last two episodes of season three of The Good Doctor, which is just a f okay show. Um, it's easy, easy going there. Uh, I watched the documentary The Unknown Known, which is a sort of biography on Donald Rumsfeld. And I watched another limited series documentary called How to Fix a Drug Scandal on Netflix. So, <laughs> um, anybody else watch any of those? I watched the... Um, uh, what. Trial Sorry, by I Media. Totally forgot the name of it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, uh, my brain's not working well today. I watched the first episode of that, the Jenny Jones episode. Yeah, uh, interesting, interesting. Um, I'm curious to watch more of it, but um, yeah, it's kind of a crazy story to tell in terms of just you know that's like 90s and how far we've come or not come. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, media sort of is ruling the world right now. Uh, even as we speak, you know, like um, there's just a lot going on and media has to do with all of that. And what what sort of like it feels like we're living in a reality TV show. Yeah. Uh, every day. Uh, thanks to our current situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Dale, uh, would you would you suggest? Uh, recommend any of those shows to anybody? Yeah, I was going to go back through and talk about them a little bit more, but um, I wanted to see if other people had thoughts on them uh, before I did that. Um, to start with Trial by Media, um, yeah, like Zach said, the first episode is about um, the situation that happened with the Jenny Jones talk show, which I don't remember from the 90s, but it was a Jerry Springer... Um, Somebody got murdered, I remember that. Yeah, it was... There was an episode about... Um, uh, did you, you know, someone has a secret crush on you and this guy was brought out and two of his friends were there and it turned out that his male friend had a crush on him and the object of the crush ended up killing the guy who had the crush a couple of days after the taping. And so, uh, like the episode was never aired, but they show the segments from it 
in the documentary and talk about kind of how that how that all went down um well i believe i believe actually what just sorry to jump in quick uh they taped it and then it was actually a few weeks or months between the taping and the showing and then it was after the showing uh that the guy murdered the guy but there was a time in between right yeah because i remember the episode it it okay so it either didn't air at all or segments that were shown in the documentary were not aired because they subtitled Mm. a bunch of the jenny jones show with not aired uh yeah um i don't think it had aired before the guy murdered the other guy because he didn't it 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 was like one of the things that went wrong but the 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 crusher kept like kind of teasing the crushy he like left notes at his door and stuff like that and the guy just became fed up and went and shot him and just sort of immediately turned himself into the police and was was done with it um, that's one story. Um, every episode, there's six episodes. They're all about different situations or different crimes. Um, there's one on Bernie Getz. Um, there's one about um, a black man that was shot 41 times by the police for standing in his own uh, alcove of his doorway. Um, there's one about um, a rape case that, like, the sort of uh, like the media sort of gave it 50 50 that she deserved it and she didn't. Um, and that was sort of the opinion of the people, public opinion at the time. Uh, and the last episode is on uh, former Illinois governor, Rod Blagojevich and his sort of redemption story or attempted at redemption through going on the apprentice and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting stuff. Um, I would recommend that one. I think if you if you don't like the first episode, it's not going to improve. Like it, the first one is pretty much the bar for how the rest of the series goes. Um, but they're all interesting and intriguing. Um, the Jeffrey Epstein one is sort of uh, it's it's okay. I think if you don't know much about that story it's a good uh it's it's a it's a good you know document of what that situation was and it goes into a lot more detail than you've probably heard on the news about just how deep all of this went and how widespread and how um long-running and and horrible that whole situation was um it's not something to watch if you're triggered by that sort of uh stuff you know if if uh pedophilia gets under your skin really easily it's i mean that's what the whole thing's about so um yeah that's one i have to watch without my wife she will not be watching that with me um the good doctor is a silly show very similar to house um watch it if you don't if you want to i don't care um i'm not gonna (laughs) <laughs> spend any any time talking about the good doctor um i mean the the one like it's gimmick or it's trick up its sleeve that differentiates it from other 
medical drama procedural type of shows is that the lead character is autistic um, and his autism makes him very socially awkward. It makes his bedside manner pretty bad, but he's an amazing doctor because he is very smart and knows about a lot of things and memorizes lots of information. And then how to fix a drug scandal is probably the one I would recommend the highest out of all of the ones that I saw. Um, It's an insane story that I hadn't heard about before where two chemists working at the two main crime labs in Massachusetts um, ended up invalidating the convictions of 35,000 people. So because of their misconduct, 35,000 convicted felons were, uh, they, by the time it was done, they had all served their sentences, but all of them had their records expunged of the felony, which is a big deal for people living after prison. Um, there's a lot of things you can't do with a felony conviction, and th- they got their their stuff back. Really interesting. Um, the one woman who was a, uh, a chemist in the Boston side of Massachusetts, the eastern side, was um, sort of a... Uh, she wanted to be more of a rock star than she really was. She wanted to be like the best chemist they ever had. And so she had this practice of gathering like a dozen samples at a time that looked the same, testing one, and then writing all of them as if she had tested all of them, Mm. which invalidates whether they were actually drugs or not. Um, Wow. The other one was even crazier in that she was from the day she started a drug addict and was stealing evidence and the standards the actual like pure versions of the drugs that they keep in the labs to like measure against things to get high while she was working and it included her doing LSD on the day that one of the tests was performed that led this guy to be convicted and they got that guy's uh, testimony expunged. Complicating everything even further, the attorney general's office knew how bad both of these situations were and withheld evidence from the defense about it to try and contain it to just a couple of offenses each. This was all in the same place. Well, it, it was two labs. So the main lab for Eastern Massachusetts, which is in Boston, was was one lady, and she was the most productive because she was doing four times the work by not actually doing the work as everybody else. And the other one was in Western Massachusetts at a really sleepy, decrepit lab where she was allowed to be alone a lot of the time, and she was actually like smoking crack 12 times a day at work. And yeah, it's a good motivator. And, yeah. I mean, what are you gonna do? And yeah. like <laughs> the when they seized her car and arrested her, she had evidence in her car that she had been in therapy and telling her therapist that she was addicted to drugs and worked at a state lab. And the attorney general's office buried that. 
and the defense didn't get it for like seven years and were denied by judges over and over again as to whether they would get it or not. And of course, prosecutors are pretty much like unstoppable. So like they've not been censured. They've not served any prison time for that cover up, you know, and that's against the rules of uh, discovery. Everything. You have to, you, you, as a prosecutor, you have to give over exculpatory evidence, and they had exculpatory evidence that blew open. Um, you know, it was twenty thousand cases uh, on on one of the labs and fifteen thousand on the other. So but, after, uh, you know what? I, I'm just gonna watch it. I'm not gonna have you spoil anymore because this is this sounds amazing. I spoiled a lot, just so you know, but. Like, <laughs> it's still like you watch it and you cannot believe how insane all of this stuff is. Um, and what was it called again, Dale? How to Fix a Drug Scandal. Okay. It's on Netflix. It's four 50 minute episodes. Should have been called How to Get Your Fix During a Drug Scandal. Hey, <laughs> oh. They, uh, the title's based on uh, the two defense lawyers that basically wouldn't stop. Uh, making motions to get that evidence released and to look at the evidence. And uh, they said that they had to basically start from scratch because there's you can't just Google how to fix a drug scandal. And they show him type into Google how to fix a drug scandal. So that's where the title comes from. But they don't do that until like episode two or three. So, so that's what I've been watching. Um, you know, I miss 90 Day Fiance, but there's other stuff out there, so... <laughs> How about you guys? Next is next is Pawn Stars. Or, or <laughs> oh, I watched lots of that. <laughs> Hoarders. Yeah. Alicia, what have you been watching? Well, to be honest, I don't think I've been watching a whole lot new except for following some of the series I've been watching, like uh, What We Do in the Shadows and some Top Chef and things like that, John Oliver, but... Uh, we did get on a kick this week and watch several Star Trek movies. So we watched, uh, of course, Star Trek II, the classic Wrath of Khan. Uh, but then we watched three and four as well, and it had been years since I had seen those. I'm kind of more of a Star Wars than a Star Trek person. So uh, we watched the three, basically, I think, three consecutive nights, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and uh, that's probably... I think that's the only thing really we were watching this week. We were kind of busy compared to last week. We had cranked out a lot of movies. So, yeah. Well, and to be super clear, I the 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 first of those 3 was my push. Like I and actually I made her watch uh Space Seed, which is the episode from the original series that kind of precedes that with Khan that kind of precedes Which I that. had not seen. So that was good. And I and I have always felt like if you, if, especially if you've never seen it, but I, I feel like in general it adds a ton of context for the movie. Uh, it's a nice refresher. So I, I usually watch it even when I'm watching it by myself. I watch Spacey, then I watch Wrath of Khan at the same sitting. Certainly better Doesn't than watching it? Star Trek One before watching Star Trek Two. Well, and we yeah. had watched Star Trek One, but it had been months ago, so it was kind of a whole separate thing. Doesn't well, Montalban? You know, Yes, Ricardo Montalban. Doesn't Montalban play like two or three characters in the original series? Yeah, he did. But he played Khan. Interesting. I mean, Khan was (laughs) legit. Yeah. 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 
So are you yeah. uh, are you guys I, also on the the odd ones suck and the even ones are good boat? I mean, people t- say the same thing about David Bowie albums. I don't know that I agree with it necessarily, but you know, I I kind of feel like there are really really classic ones, especially in those first six. And then there's the ones that are just aren't quite as good. Um, yeah. The the next one that we haven't watched yet, I've already warned her if she hasn't. I, th- I know she's seen it, but it's been a long time. But the Final Frontier is by far and away, unless you count like maybe Nemesis way down the road, yeah. is is the true stinker of the entire group. Yeah. Um, Undiscovered I mean, Country is good though. And I and I will say, I mean, I hadn't seen three in a little while. Um, we we actually did watch the motion picture about three or four months ago, so, yeah, a few something months like back. that. Mm-hmm. And then we took this break, and uh, yeah, I've been listening to a different podcast that talks about movies, and and they 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 covered the motion picture three or four months ago. So I wanted to watch it. She sat there with me, and then this recently they did Wrath of Khan. Um, I kind of feel like they're almost the same movie. Motion picture and Wrath of Khan have a lot of overlap, lapping similarities, at least as far as Kirk's character arc goes, but Rathacon just does a ton better at actually telling the story because it's just so much juicier and uh, everything that goes on it is a lot more fun. Well, they weren't uh, trying Star Trek- to like make it an effects extravaganza like they were with the motion picture. Yeah, I mean, for those that don't know, it's the lowest budget they had for any of the Star Trek movies, uh, so they had to kind of basically film it on a shoestring. Uh, they didn't even know they were going to be able to make another movie after the motion picture. Cause the motion picture was such a, it's not a turd. I mean, it's got, it's, it's got its moments. I mean, you gotta say, you know, if you watch that movie, it's really pretty. Um, and there's some beautiful music in it. Um, I don't know that I would ever watch it moments. a second time. Eh, I grew up with it. So, I mean, it's, it's still a classic to me. It's the same reason I love Dune. Uh, Dune's probably not the greatest movie in the world either, but I still love it. Uh, it's so. it's not. It's it's not. <laughs> yeah, the motion picture is just such. I mean, there's so many just long shots of the ship moving along, and then there's like a half hour. You won't get arguments from me. There's like a you won't get arguments half from hour me. where Spock just like floats around in that fart chair. He just like farts around in space. Well, I always have, I've seen it several times, and I always have a problem with. I can't remember the officer's name that becomes basically like the probe for V'ger, but uh, she's Ilea. she's Ilea. Ilea's just walking around on her little, you know, long shirt and high heels the whole time as probes do. So you know, I think <laughs> super practical for space every time I see it. Yeah. Oh, V'ger. Well, but anyways, uh, three did not fair quite as well in my memory i mean it's 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 got some really cheesy cheesy stuff going on in it but i love the parts that are really good like i love christopher lloyd um as the klingon i he, but at the same time he's still christopher lloyd oh, underneath all that makeup so you know it's christopher lloyd as soon as that klingon yeah. comes on the screen you're like that's christopher lloyd but I, I think most of my real problems with that particular movie were art direction and uh set design it's just like in the costuming's really bad and there's there's some just like oh they should have just not done any of that now what year was that uh specifically Three? the one with christopher lloyd 380 what did we figure out 80 
84, 85, something like that. So back then, people would have not really been like, oh, look, there's Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, probably not. It had to be before Back to the Future. Yeah, he was on Taxi. That's fair. That's fair. Uh Uh-huh. Zach, you're loving this conversation, I can see. (laughs) I know pretty much nothing about (laughs) Star Trek. I am exclusively a Star Wars guy. I I knew it. Don't have anything to contribute. Sorry, I've I've seen the I've seen the new ones, uh, once each. Uh, I'm kind of surprised um, that you never like got into any uh, of the Star Trek. No, I I like Next Generation. I watched that as a kid, but other than that, and I barely remember it. Uh, so I probably would enjoy Picard if I got into no. it. But uh, <laughs> nope. Okay, won't do that. No, um, it's not good, huh? No. <laughs> oh no, there, we haven't really watched like, it much yet. There's one or two episodes that are like, okay, that was fine, but for the most part, it's it's no, no. It's not. It was a swing and a miss. It's not Star Trek. It's okay. It, it's something else. It's something something. It's Alex Kurtzman. Um, just just go back and watch Best of Both Worlds and First Contact, and you'll be fine. Honestly, See, that's all. The uh, I, what you're saying is gibberish. <laughs> uh, the next generation, I think, holds up. Um, it's you know the first season is pretty clunky, just because they were getting their head around what they were doing and they weren't quite sure how to make it yet. Um, but it's like seven or eight seasons, and uh, seven. I mean, it gets great by the end. And then uh, yeah, I, Deep Space Nine, I think, was always very solid. Uh, Deep Space Nine is actually my favorite of the series. Um, they they did, at least for the time, I felt was what was pretty revolutionary for the time, which was to take a, ser- a series that has typically been known as a really episodic series and created a lot more arc across, you know, the overall episodes. There was... There were character things that actually developed and changed the characters as they went. I mean, they did a little bit on the next generation, but I mean, there was actual uh, there was an actual war in the last half of the series for Deep Space Nine, and then repercussions for that war and things that kind of happened to the characters that pretty much stuck with them better than a lot of the next generation stuff. Like Picard has this whole episode where he goes off, and it's it's a famous episode where he lives a whole lifetime outside of things. Uh, he pl- learns to play a flute, and it kind of comes up as just a subtle thing every now and then. <laughs> but there's an episode in, in Deep Space Nine very similar where O'Brien does the same thing. I know. There's, is there's Zach also, is just loving you, this conversation. There's an episode of Next Generation <laughs> where Beverly Crusher fucks a ghost. Yes. <laughs> So uh, Troy, Troy gets yeah. There's there's all, all kinds of, of insanity. I mean, what are you gonna do? But yeah, Deep Space Nine do? was. I mean, they they intentionally made it to be serial, right? Because yeah. uh, the original series and the Next Generation are both on uh, a starship that is moving around and can get into new adventures every week. Deep Space Nine is about the st- space station, Deep Space Nine. So it was more like um, Babylon Five in that way that this was a cast of characters that were impacted by things happening around them and to them, but that, you know, their storylines yeah. progressed over time um, rather than it just sort of being 
you know, very episodic. Zach, how about you? Uh, well, to to combat your Star Trek, I watched The Empire Strikes Back because it's the 40th anniversary. All um, right. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched it in a while, and I enjoyed rewatching it again, especially after the sequel trilogy had just wrapped up. Um, and I've watched a little bit of the Star Wars gallery, the uh, making of the Mandalorian. It's just fun to like go back and watch the originals. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think even more so than uh, than A New Hope, just because um, you can you can just see the the progress that's being made in terms of the production at ILM and all the stuff that's happening there, which is really cool to the, they talk about the history of that and the making of the Mandalorian. So I just like, I love to, I'm so deep in that star like world. I could, I could do exactly what you guys just did, but with star Wars, um, I was thinking when know. the 40th we anniversary, could, we could too. I was thinking when the 40th anniversary <laughs> happened that it was interesting that it had been 40 years since arguably the biggest movie twist of all time became known to the public. Yeah. Yeah. That really blew everyone away at at the time. And it still blows kids away to this day, you know, like depending on what order you watch the films in, you can really set them up for success and then make them go back and live through the prequels. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, no. but I, I, uh, I, I have a, I, every time I watch something Star Wars related, I feel like I just have a deeper and deeper appreciation for the franchise. And I know it's, it's very divisive right now because of a lot of different reasons, but I, I just become more and more of a fan. So I enjoyed going back and watching it for sure. So is episode um, five your, fi- your favorite? No, actually, Return of the Jedi is my favorite, and oh. uh, and I know that's not a popular wow. opinion. It's wow. the first one I ever saw, and okay. so it'll always be my favorite. I think it's just one of those you know mental things where it's like, even though th- there are definitely some better ones, um, I mean, obviously, Empire Strikes Back is, is definitely a better film overall. Uh, Return of the Jedi will always just have a place in my heart as my favorite, so... It's it's the Ewoks, isn't it? It's the Ewoks that I do love it for those you. Little, I want the Nub Nub so bad. Like I want that that cut, the original Nub Nub ending. Oh, you, so badly. you got the Nub Nub song. Oh, Absolutely. it's so it's, good. It's funny that you mentioned that one. The first <laughs> Star Wars movie that I saw was uh, Ewoks. Caravan of Courage. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Dude, those were no. the best. I love those. I love all those Ewok spin-offs. <laughs> they were so bad. Oh. Man. Oh god. Uh so I, Is that the one you, with like Wilford Brimley in it or something? Probably. It's been uh, so long since I think I've that seen one. Him. I think that one's escaped to Endor. With Wilford Brimley. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I read a story recently um, about Empire Strikes Back. They mentioned that the big twist at the end, the only people that knew about it were the director, Mark Hamill, and James Earl Jones. Because Mm -hmm. James Earl Jones obviously had to do the voice for the lines. But even the guy in the Darth Vader suit didn't know. Yeah. Right. The, um, yeah, the, the sort of, passing of the the torch of knowledge there as far as who knew about it and how it wasn't spoiled like george lucas was saying like he didn't think that kind of thing would make it today like somebody would have leaked that information if it were made today but it was 
Lucas obviously knew about it. It wasn't in the screenplay, but he did that on purpose so nobody knew it was going to be there. And then he told the director, and they told Mark Hamill at when they were shooting that scene that it was going to happen. And then the only other people that knew about it were uh, the editors. And that's it. And then when it was released in theaters, that's when everybody found out. It blew my mind. Yeah, it was weird because, again, if depending on what order you watch it in, you know certain things. So, like, when I watched Return of the Jedi as the first one, I got a load of information that I was like, okay, this all seems to make sense to me. And then you go back and watch it, and you're like, oh, this is where it comes from. Uh, so, you know, obviously... If you watch it in certain orders, if it's diced up or if it's chronological, it can really make a difference. Um, because then they tried to do that in Jedi when they reveal that they are uh, Luke and Leia are brother and sister. They allude to it in Empire, but like they're they they dig in hard on it in the third or I should say the sixth. But if you watch um, episode one, you already know that. Oh yeah, I mean you can kind of you can get that sensibility already. So. Um, yeah, it's just like they really they did a great job with it with the Empire, and they tried to play with it in other capacities throughout the entire series, and it never really lands the way it does in Empire. Yeah, you know, em- Empire really takes the cup on that. So. Like Jimmy Smith's whole role in the prequel trilogy is just to take baby Leia away. He just stands around and waits for that baby. <laughs> <laughs> give it to me my wife and, and i have he, always wanted a baby uh-huh. and then he fucks them back <laughs> oh my yeah that's uh that's, that's from dexter, dexter. jimmy smith oh, dexter. Dexter. <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i mean i could sit here and talk about star wars all day but we got enough star trek in there to cover the extra time uh another thing i wanted to talk about was a documentary called circus of books on netflix anybody catch this no no uh, it's really it's fun it's it's like not um it's uh, about uh, an adult bookstore an adult gay bookstore in Los Angeles that's run by a Jewish couple and how their children had no idea that they were running an adult gay bookstore um, hmm. and then like the process of how they came into uh, owning it uh, what they did for the porn industry is kind of it, it's crazy I would have never thought that two people uh, of of their cat like they they seem like just like normal everyday people like they're not into like sex stuff at all but they really helped to move the porn industry into a whole nother level um especially for homosexuals and uh they just had to close recently within the last couple of years um i know that's not hopefully not a spoiler alert because you can look it up but um the story is fascinating and what they did for the community, the LGBTQ community, is really, really great. And where was I the just, store? The store was uh, in, I believe, Silver Lake. Oh, okay, here in Los Angeles. Um, so it's in LA. Um, I'm pretty sure it's. And at the time, it. I think they had to move it once before. I'm pretty sure it was in Silver Lake. If it wasn't in Silver Lake, it might have been in West Hollywood. It's one of the two. I thought it was in Silver Lake, though. But anyway, um, yeah, and the, and the documentary is done by the daughter. Uh, she's the director mm. of the documentary, so she you know she's got inside access to the store and the parents and everything. Um, really, really enjoyable. Uh, you know, uh, just a, a, a unique story for today's day and age. So 
yeah. it's cool. That's all I'll talk about today. That's uh, that's really the only ones I really wanted to hit. Mine are not near as exciting. Um, <laughs> I watched the Russell Simmons documentary um, about the women that um, uh, accused Russell Simmons of sexual harass, uh, sexual assault, and it was pretty interesting. Uh, a lot of people that I re- I remember seeing when I was a kid that just kind of disappeared, and now I know why. Um, it's on Netflix. You should definitely watch it. And there's, uh, I also popped in the DVDs of this old series. Well, old series. It ran in the, in the late nineties called early edition. Yeah. Um, almost, almost nobody remembers this show. I used to love it as a kid, not aged well. Yeah. was that the one where there was like a newspaper or something that already had events that hadn't happened yet or something like that and this weird cat would bring um (laughs) the the tomorrow's newspaper today and it had fisher stevens fisher (laughs) stevens and um kyle mclaughlin kyle mclaughlin Mm -hmm. oh really Oh. Yeah, it was it was fun way back when, and I tried to watch it again. I'm like, no. Yeah, it came out <laughs> after Fisher Stevens stopped being an Indian. Kyle Chandler, Kyle Chandler, oh, and Fisher Kyle Stevens, Chandler. and yes, uh, Fisher Stevens no longer talked about number Johnny Five. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was uh, it was much more acceptable, <laughs> you know, outside of brownface. God. That, that's so all that you got. My week okay. Was. That's that's <laughs> all I've got. We all had like twenty minutes. Aaron's like, yeah, I watched the show. It was kind of dumb. All right. It was early edition. Like there were three seasons, and I don't know how they got that. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Four seasons. <laughs> well, there was only so many channels back then, so you know. Yeah. How far did you true. make it? Um, I I have the first season on DVD. I watched probably the first two discs Uh, it's so it's so ridiculous like i remember in one season it it completely breaks the premise of the show but he goes back in time and exists in the time of the chicago fire Uh, i don't know quantum (laughs) leap quantum leap merged except not good (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i i just i just had this vision where this group is going to do a deeply discussing podcast where we watch every episode of early edition <laughs> oh my god tomorrow's news today man <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh no dale's not into it <laughs> no i don't think so <laughs> If we do that, we got to do every episode of 90 Day Fiance. Maybe Sports Night. Oh, my God. <laughs> like Sports Night, I could maybe be talked into. Isn't that the... Uh, that, was a, that was a Sorkin, Sorkin show, show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good. That was a good show. That was mm-hmm. a good... It, nobody appreciated it when it was on. Yeah, and I don't care about sports at all, but I think that show's really funny, and Aaron Sorkin's writing is, is great, and the people that are in it are all really good. 
but yeah, episode by episode, um, you know, it'd be like doing episode by episode of Ned and Stacy. It's like, here's another show nobody knows or cares about anymore. <laughs> We'd be the only ones, though. <laughs> yeah. And next week, we watch Cop Rock. <laughs> Does anybody remember Cop Rock? Oh, yeah. Of course. It exists on DVD. Oh my I God. sent it to a couple friends of mine. They hate me. NYPD Blue was hot <laughs> shit when that came out. And everybody thought it was going to be great. And it was not. It was so not. Oh, man. Um, I suggested the movie Wise Blood. Um, I'll give a little bit of this away now. But in part because um, Aaron and I have been watching the Joe Bob Briggs drive-in, uh, last drive-in show on Shutter on Friday nights and they played the exorcist three, a couple of weeks ago, which has a really famous scene in it with Brad Dourif. And I was telling all the people that we were watching it with online that if they like Brad Dourif, they should really check out this movie wise blood. Cause it's like one of his best performances. And so I think Aaron saw it on that uh, recommendation. And then I suggested it last week and had everybody else watch it. Um, so, uh, Zach, let's start with you. What did you think of Wise Blood? Um, it was a thing. <laughs> um, I I can't say I enjoyed it. Um, it I didn't hate it. I just uh, I hated everybody in it. Like not the acting. The performances were decent, but like the characters, I hated. Even the the kid who becomes his like first disciple. Um, the kid who works at the zoo. Yeah, I was like, I, I kind of like this kid, and then no, like, uh, and then because he, what he, uh, it, no, and then I just, yeah, it's like, and even the landlady, you're like, oh, she's fine, and then no, and it was just like every time you wanted to like somebody, and then you couldn't. Um, I, I actually, you know, maybe the sheriff's the only likable one, but he's only in like a scene. Um, come here, I got a view I want to show you. Like, it's just, I don't know. I mean. It's something. Um, he's, he's the non-asshole in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's surprising. Um, so, like, I get a lot of the themes. I get a lot of the, the you know, like what's going on, uh, you know, and what what he's going through, and and um, you know, I wasn't just uh, like dumbfounded by it, like what's happening, you know. But I, I just, I, I had a hard time finding myself engaging with it a lot. Um, a lot of anger, so much anger. Um, and yelling and biblical stuff, which I'm like fine talking about the Bible and like watching stuff about, you know, religion and things like that or whatnot. I personally am not religious nor follow a specific faith. But um, yeah, it was just like, I don't know. I guess I would rather watch like one of those, you know, what's the Willem Dafoe Antichrist or Passion? No, no. I can't remember the Scorsese. I mean, he was in both of those. He's in both of those. Yeah, I'll watch all of those. Very different movies. Um, yeah, no. Um, but, you know, it's fine. Um, yeah, there was just, there was, there was like some moments where I was like, okay. And then there were some moments I just didn't really give much attention to. Um, Sorry, Last Temptation of Christ s- was Willem Dafoe. Okay, that's, Christ that's what, is what I was thinking of. Will Gibson, or Mel Gibson uh, Mel snuff Gibson. flick. Yeah, right. Yeah. Last Temptation of Christ was the one I was thinking of. Anyway, I... Um, I liked some of the performances that I saw, especially some of the people that are a little more well-known. I did a little trivia dive on it just to see what was going on. Um, 
interesting production notes. I'll say that much. Um, I'm not familiar with uh, the director's work uh, for the most part, but you know, I know he's fairly well known for a lot of stuff that he's done. Nor am I familiar with the author's work uh, that the book was adapted or the movie's adapted from the book. Um, so yeah, that's that's my take. Okay. Nathan, you guys want to go next? Okay. Um, Aaron's seen it before, so that's why I'm... I, I think I'm just going to add to Zach, honestly. The the movie was well-filmed, um, pretty good acting by most people all around. It was good to see certain actors doing something that I hadn't seen them do before. But at the same time, I hated every character in this movie to the point of, like, I just... It was tedium to watch them. Um, he, uh, Zach talked about the disciple guy. His whole, I, actually, I thought he was the worst in the movie, primarily because he just all he did when he was walking down the street with uh, the guy. And I, and I don't know if you caught this, but he basically reminded me exactly of the the life of Brian character that follows behind and go. Please be have a, a, a she- shekel for an old ex leper, you know. And mm-hmm. he's bouncing behind him, and and it's just. It was poor. I, I don't know. It was a bad choice. Something about the way that whole scene went down. Just, just, And it was long and tedious to watch. That character's um, name is uh, Enoch Emery. Um, right. The main character's name is Hazel yeah. Motes. And um, interestingly, the, uh, the role of Enoch Emery was the one that Brad Dourif was originally intended to play by the director. Um they had uh, Tommy Lee Jones slated to play Hazel, and he had to drop out for some reason. And Brad Dourif had been campaigning to get the Hazel part because he really thought he could pull it off. And lucky for us, he did because um, he was awesome as that. Tommy Lee Jones probably had to go right, make a good movie. Oh, <laughs> sick burn. Sorry. I mean, this- I... This has yeah. a good Rotten Tomatoes. I, I don't think I would have liked this movie as much if it was Tommy Lee Jones. But yeah, go ahead. I that that's kind of the sum of it. I I I like certain aspects of it. I mean, I love movies from this period um, because they're kind of challenging. And I will say this about it: like I felt like it was fairly timeless. Like it, all the topics that were there are just as relevant today, if not more. Um, but at the same time like there were little things about it that really threw me off like the music yeah i don't know <laughs> what was going on with the music and, and music's important i mean you you hear these reviews from me and i usually mention the music because i usually really love movie music but this felt like especially the scene was it he was getting the bear something about the bear costume or the the, the gorilla costume, costume. There was, there was a scene in there where it went, it went straight up Looney Tunes. And yeah, I was yep. like, ugh. <laughs> Anyways, I'll shut up. Let someone else take a shot. Yeah, no. Um, uh, just talking about the, the timeless nature of it, um, I think in part that was sort of an, a happy accident. Um, when the book was released, like I don't think they ever really say um, – they don't say in the movie what time period it's supposed to be in. Um Based on when the book was released, it would have been a World War II veteran. But in the movie version, it feels more like it's a Vietnam veteran because it's it's um, modern to the 70s. Like they didn't, they, it wasn't uh, a period drama. They didn't have the budget to make it a period drama. So they just shot it in 
then modern day uh, Georgia. And so it has this sort of tone where like, it's not specifically Vietnam. It's just, it's a soldier returning from war and what he does with his life after that. Where do you guys think he got injured? That's a great oh, I question. Figured it was this, <laughs> I figured it, it, it must not have had anything. First, I thought it had something to do with his genital region, but then he went and saw a prostitute. So, yeah. Only, only for Dale, I think something jumped up and bit him in the buttocks. Uh, i think it's open for interpretation um my interpretation is that he uh whatever happened to him uh caused him some kind of shell shock or ptsd and he got a purple heart for you know a medical discharge basically that's that's my take on it um there's nothing but my my own feelings about it to support that but that's that was my take on what he was trying to hide about how he got a purple heart because he didn't want to have to explain it to people yeah it was such a strange it was almost like a throwaway line but i think it was very crucial to i mean the development of the character at the beginning of the film because then we see him go to the town of Macon and he goes to the prostitute's home, which I also saw that, that she was a real uh, prostitute. She, they like used a lot of the town locals. Yeah. Um, and so that's a very, it's like, wow, okay, uh, you know, resources. Um, but yeah, I was like, I, I kept wondering it for a while because like he hooks up a lot. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, it's definitely not a physical thing. It's got to be something more mental or whatnot. He's ashamed of. Mm-hmm. Alicia, we haven't heard from you yet. I can't say that I loved the movie myself either. Um, It was interesting. (laughs) I always think it's interesting to see something new and different, but uh, I feel like I agree the characters weren't super likable, but, you know, it it wasn't even to me like a good anti-hero that I could really, you know, want to follow and see what, what he was doing. And then I felt like the side characters they would start to show stuff about them and you kind of think they're going to build into something else and then they don't. Yeah. Like, you know, like uh, Harry Dean Stanton's character just kind of dropped off the face of the earth uh, and I always love seeing him in movies. Uh, and so, Beatty, you know, and too. then also... Yeah, Ned Beatty, you think that's going to become a whole big thing, and then you've only got that really two scenes with him. Yep. Uh, I thought the same thing with the little tag-along sidekick. Did, what was his name again? Enoch. 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 So I felt like that every time I would start to maybe get a little interest in wondering where something with that was going to go. I I mean, I turned to Nathan at one point and I was like, have we seen the sidekick in the gorilla suit? Has he come back? Did I miss it? Did he come? And he just scared the old people and that was the last of it. So, you know, I think that was a little frustrating. I mean, I I love Brad Dourif. Like, if he's in anything, I want to watch it. I'm always happy, you know, especially even just his little guest stints on TV shows is always amazing. So, I was, and I still think he did a tremendous job and I can understand why that would be uh, a really great role for him to do and, and stretch himself in a lot of ways, but it didn't do it for me. I felt like anything that started to build just kind of deflated. So, I, I I thought it was a kind of a cool setting and stuff, but I think uh, it just got kind of sad and, and long at the end, and I was kind of just ready for it to be done. Yeah, I can see that. So, Aaron, 
how was your second time watching it? I haven't heard about your first time watching it either, so, well, so feel free so to tell us to, everything you think about it. I have to go back to the first time I watched it. Um, what brought this up is I'm a huge Brad Dorif mark. Uh, loved him in the Child's Play movies, which was my introduction to him. Um, then One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Deadwood. He just is an amazing actor. Um, so, Dill mentions that I should watch uh, Wise Blood. So, immediately I, I go do that. And. Wow! What the <laughs> hell, Dale? This movie, <laughs> this movie is so insane. Yeah. Um, I love I love Brad Dourif, obviously, but there's no. Is this absurdist? <laughs> is it is it is it black comedy? Mm-hmm. Is it serious? Yeah. What is happening in this movie? Uh, yes, <laughs> is the answer to all three of those questions. And I just, I keep watching it and I'm thinking, the man who made this made the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. And the African uh, Queen. So, so eventually this has to come together. And then it never does. It's just batshit insanity. And... All of the characters are just garbage people. Brad Dorif is pissed off at everything for no apparent reason. <laughs> and then, of course, racism. It, it was just like... Visual <laughs> racism, though. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I... On one hand, what the hell? But then on the other hand, I'm like, man, I kind of loved that movie. On the second watching, <laughs> I was able to sit and appreciate just how batshit it was. And I was like, this is beautiful. Yep. This is beautiful in its chaos. It, it's, so, it's very you're, true. You're, you're having a dead serious moment and the music comes on this like yakety sax. Mm-hmm. And you're like, <laughs> what am I supposed to be feeling in this moment? Yeah, it's definitely a movie that uh, gets better every time you watch it. Um, knowing where it's going is very helpful to enjoying the experience of the movie itself. Uh, because when you don't know where it's going and you keep thinking that these threads are going to start leading somewhere and they don't, that's really frustrating. But when you know it's just like this character study about a whole bunch of different characters being weird and and loopy uh it's just fun to sit back and enjoy the performances and enjoy the absurdity and the comedy of of what's there but yeah the first time you watch it it's like man there's got to be a story in here somewhere and there's not much there's not much plot to get in the way of the story of this movie (laughs) it kind of it kind of reminds me a little bit of some robert Altman influence yeah. maybe that John Huston had, had kind of the different characters and it's more about them and we don't need to know where they came from or where they're going and it's just a little snapshot and stuff like that it kind of reminds me of a few of his movies well it's it's very it feels Flannery O'Connor well and I haven't read that book I have a good friend that she actually did her thesis on Flannery O'Connor and she's even named a daughter after her so I need to talk to her about the story is it, it it's very closely based on her first novel 
So Wise Blood? I Yes. Is it yeah, pretty close to the original? I mean, I, I have not read the book, but I've read Flannery O'Connor and I've seen other adaptations of Flannery O'Connor for screen and um I think she only wrote two novels and the rest of it is short stories. But mm-hmm. um Hallmarks of Flannery O'Connor is um weird and wacky characters in the South. Um, it's much more about sort of like a, a diary si- style of storytelling than it is uh, traditional, like there's an arc storytelling. It's like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Um, there's a lot of people uh, that today have sort of reconsidered her work and thinks that she um, makes a lot of comedy at the expense of the South. And there's, uh, there's some, uh, some people that are kind of critical of this movie and, and other works of hers um, about that. And, and I think one of the things that sort of disconnects us on a first watch from really experiencing the comedy of the movie is that these jokes aren't funny anymore or maybe they never really were funny because they were at the expense of these uneducated um you know potentially mentally ill characters um and uh audiences at the time would have been more uh more in tune with that sort of, you know, uh, jokey kind of look at the South, sort of like um, the uh, <clears throat> the the Coen Brothers movie with George Clooney. Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah, there's a quite a few. Oh, brother, where art thou? Where, you know, it's it, it's sort of the South played for laughs. It's a satire of Southern culture. Um, and a satire of the music industry and all of that kind of stuff. Whereas, like that, what you know, that came out contemporary that all of us could have seen it as adults, um, and we connected with that comedy more because it was a little bit more slapstick and and Coen Brothers have an aesthetic that you're, you know, you know that it's going to be, if not directly comedic, at least darkly comedic, you know, or are satirical uh sort of thing but uh yeah i think you yeah that second time you watch it it's like the whole the whole subplot about ganga the gorilla is it's supposed to be hilarious and it is amusing the second time you watch it it's (laughs) it's confusing the first time you watch it the whole movie is a confusing mess the first time you watch it, which is, I guess, what shocks me is this movie's part of the Criterion Collection, which yep. is like the, the upper tier of the upper tier. And so I, the first time I'm going through, I'm like, okay, this movie's going to be you know pretty highbrow and just knock me away. And then it does, but in the absolute opposite end of the spectrum that I think it's going to. Um, I I cheated. I didn't read the book. I read the Cliff Notes version of the book. 
but it didn't really add much to the story. It's a pretty faithful adaptation. They combine a couple characters, and um, there's a little bit more context about how the movie starts, but outside of that, there's not much difference. It's it's pretty faithful. It is strange. So, um, but you did enjoy it more the second time. I really did. I really did. The first time, I was like, well, the, the performances were good, but it the, the movie made no sense. Like, why did any of this happen? Why was he so pissed off at everything ever? Um... What was the whole point of him going to that empty house and then immediately turning around and leaving? Why is he so obsessed with this car? Uh, okay. <laughs> because I, the car can take him anywhere. Well, I can answer some anywhere of those questions. In the world. Good car. Yeah. Um, so the house is his his childhood home. When he comes home from war, he goes there and he leaves a note on the Schiffer robe, um, which is, a, I mean, it's a dresser. I don't know what what makes it, you know, I guess that's like some kind of specific term for that piece of equipment, or maybe it's another just Old South thing that they threw in there just to have an Old South thing. But he leaves a note on it that says, um, the Schiffer robe belongs to Hazel Motes, and anyone who takes it will be killed. That that's all he does at the house. He just leaves that note on the shiffer yeah. robe and he heads on into town. Um, the car is so the car is is this sort of metaphorical thing, and there's a bunch of lines that he says about the car that sort of give you his philosophy about it and why it's so important to him. It's basically his freedom. That's what the car kind of represents. But he talks about how no man with a good car needs to be justified and that uh, if you uh, that wherever you are is only as good as uh, how fast you can get away from it. And so the car is really important and it's part of why he keeps like insisting to people that it's a good car despite all evidence to the contrary. And also why when he loses his freedom, then, you know, it's sort of like we then he goes back and he takes his eyes because he's like he starts to lose everything that he has that he's he's like stood behind or whatever. The eyes is a big thing, too. I know we haven't talked about that yet, but like the names and yeah. um, and how and how he talks about the eyes and the and seeing things and whatnot. That's like a huge theme throughout as well. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Um, I mean, I can talk about that, too, but. It's cool. Well, yeah, I just some of the stuff that I read, um, like Asa Hawks uh, can be read as as a hawk because like he really wasn't blind. um, That's the name of Harry Dean Stanton's character. Yes. As a hawk. And uh, yeah, um, they, uh, you know, the fact that he says he, you know, he uses that as, as a tactic to like get people to believe in what he's saying, even though he's not really a preacher, Um, you know, all of the sort of snake oil salesman situations that he finds himself into is that, um, and they also, they said that what moats is like dust moats um, moat is a speck of dust. And so hazel yeah. moats is sort of a allusion to hazy specks. Um, and it's also an allusion to a biblical passage about 
um, not worrying about the speck that's in your eye when there is a bean in someone else's eye. And it uses the word moat instead of speck um, in that passage. So there's, I think that's what Flannery O'Connor was getting at when she named the characters. She likes to do that um, with her character names. Yeah, it's also something that uh, J.K. Rowling does, obviously, with uh, a lot of the Harry Potter books as well. I love that, actually. I'm really into names. Um, I I really loved... Actually, that was one of the things I loved the most about this was the names of everyone. Um, And just like hearing them say them in a southern accent, I think, was just really great. Yeah, the only explanation Um, of a name we get is uh, Sabbath. Yeah. Sab was a Sabbath was Lily Hawks. The, yeah, Sabbath yep. Lily. Yeah. She was born on the Sabbath. Her mother named her Sabbath because she was born on the Sabbath. And then her mother died she's... and I ain't never met her. <laughs> she's a bastard. How can you be yeah. a bastard? <laughs> he keeps um, trying to say honestly... that and she keeps talking over him. <laughs> yeah. I think she's probably the character I like the most out of all of the characters. You know, like, she's not great, but there's something about her that's at least a likable quality. And she's kind of dicked around in terms of like the time you know it's timeless but also it's definitely a time when like women probably weren't as appreciated as they should have been uh and it just kind of goes to show that she's you know it's like she's looking for a husband you know uh and once she can get a husband she can get her dad can get away or whatever Uh, of course it's all absurd but still like I don't know. There was something about her. the actress that plays her too. I think did just a good job of playing that style of character and uh, giving us something. She she did a, a really good performance with what she was given. Yeah, she has that really those like really doe like brown eyes. She just has this like like weird expressions all the time, and um, you can tell there's something going on under there um, when she reveals that she actually really likes Hazel Motes and she's trying to be with him. You're like, wait, what? That's what you're doing? (laughs) (laughs) And then you see like her attempts at seduction where she like rolls around in the leaves and like, like gets herself all dirty. She's like, well, my feet are wide, aren't they? That actress, uh, I couldn't help watching her on the screen and not think of Vanessa Bayer. SNL. yeah. And and at, quite frankly, I could totally see Vanessa Bayer playing the, her character because it's it's just off the the rail just enough. Yeah, it just fits with her. <laughs> I kind of almost want them to remake this. You, you know, know what like, I was thinking is like <laughs> we were talking about how it has like dead ends, like there's it doesn't go anywhere. I feel like this would be the perfect like HBO series pilot. And like, just have a little twist at the end of some sort, but then come back and revisit the universe with new stories and and carry it forward with a longer arc. Yeah, I, I think. But he I feel can't, like this is kind of like a pilot episode of a movie that we don't get to see the end to. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't think he can be blinded in the pilot episode for it to really work as a series. Like, I think that cuts off a lot of storytelling possibilities because um, then it's like sort of based around the landlady at that point it's like she's the one that has the perspective then uh maybe it's the next generation well i mean oh, he has to, kid. To, to do it he would have to find his footing as a blind person yeah like an excuse to move forward but i think a, a tv show could do that sure well like he didn't even they didn't even talk about it but like he's dead at the end of the movie <laughs> <laughs> When they bring him in and and she's like, oh, you can stay here. <laughs> He's dead. He died on the ride over there. 
Yeah. That's what happens when you walk with rocks in your shoes. I think that's unclear. It's, it uh, It is verbatim in the book. The movie's slightly less clear, but okay. he looks pretty dead. I thought he that's was dead. That's what I assumed, too. I yeah. thought he was. Like, it, it's said in the book that he dies on the ride back with the cops. So... I almost thought he was going to be dead when they found him. I was like, oh, that's it, you know. But the, then they like, nope, we're going to throw in a little extra, get him back into that bed. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think everyone in the movie, except for Hazel Motes, has a clear motivation for what they're doing. It, like, it explains why they are thinking the way they're thinking. Um, the, the, the final reveal of motivation is that the landlady also doesn't care what state he's in. She just wants him to be her husband or she just wants to take care of him. Honestly, she doesn't even really care if he marries her or not, or if she has to walk up and down the stairs or not. She just wants to be there and take care of him because she wants to be but, useful to somebody. Um, it's just all very, I, I, I think it's all very interesting. And I absolutely understand the first time that I watched it, I was, just as weirded out and confused as everybody um the first time i watched it um i how did you how did you come across this so that's what i was getting into so um there's two things that got me into this movie one was um i i was a big fan of deadwood and i saw deadwood years and years before i ever saw wise blood um Maybe the best Brad Dourif scene in Deadwood is the scene where he talks to God about the minister and he's like, why do you make this man suffer? Like, he's done everything for you. Just let him die. Um, it's just a really powerful scene by him. And so when I kind of found out a little bit more about this movie, and it was like, oh, Brad Dourif plays a preacher that would be great i that that sounds really interesting and then the other thing is this really obscure mix of the ministry song jesus built my hot rod uh i had the album that that was on but if you got the cd single version that has like four or five different remixes of it there's one called the red line white line version and it has like five or eight different samples from wise blood talking about cars and sort of the religiosity stuff of it. Um, it's all stuff that Hazel Motes says in the movie. And I, I thought that if, if ministry put this into a remix, like they use a lot of Dennis Hopper stuff too. It's like, if they put this into a remix, they must like this movie and it, it's probably worth, worth seeing. So that's that's kind of how I found out about it. Um, and I watched it a couple of years ago. And when we were watching uh, The Exorcist 3, uh, it kind of came up again. And I think even later in the night, Joe Bob actually mentioned it and said that Brad Dourif was in Wise Blood, and that it was like one of his better performances. So That actually kind of reminds me of uh, another Criterion movie that I watched for a very similar reason. Um, I don't know if everybody's familiar with the band Orb. They're kind of like a trance band. They're they're kind of interesting, but uh, there's one of their songs that heavily quotes um, the movie Naked, uh, which is uh, I think it's 
something Thulis is the guy's name. The the guy from Harry Potter. If you Peter you know Thulis. Him. Peter Thulis. Oh, he plays great. in it, and he kind of plays like a, a very similar character to this, like an eccentric madman who just kind of walks around and it, it feels a little bit uh, like Pi. If you've ever seen Pi, is what it kind of feels like. It's it's just very out there. Um, so if you liked this one or had even a notion of liking this particular movie, I would recommend actually Naked. I think it's a really good movie. Maybe a, be- a much better movie than this one, but it's got similar themes. Apologies, David Thewlis. David Thewlis, yeah. I didn't know. But that's a good movie. This uh, movie has a plethora of wonderful lines, uh, both in color and nature and uh, in, in impetus. But a couple of my favorites were, uh, will you get this goddamn outhouse out of the middle of the road? <laughs> uh, referring to his car. <laughs> referring to his car, which died. And then he has like a moment and then he just immediately is able to start it back up and do a U-turn. Yeah, after, after a flashback, his car just works again. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. the other one is the you might as well live in a monkery. Yeah. Because <laughs> monkeries are You're living like where a monks monk. live. You might as well live like a in a monkery. <laughs> there I mean, there are so many insane scenes in this movie. One of my favorite ones is kind of benign, but his car dies and he just loses his shit. <laughs> And takes off walking and, and comes back with somebody to help him. And the guy looks at it. And, and the entire time, Brad Dereef is like, this is a good car. Yeah. This is a good car. It'll take me anywhere I want to go in the world. Do you think he could fix It'll it? It'll take me anywhere take I want to go, go. I told you it was a good car. It, yeah, it, it was out of gas. Yep. It was out of gas. He was like, I, I can't figure out, you know, it, it dies every now and again. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's because you didn't put gas and in. And the tow truck guy was like, I'm not going to charge you anything for yeah, being a much? moron. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. It's like the guy got two lines, probably a local. Um, that, that was a wonderful moment. Then the, the scene where... Um, Enoch dresses up in like a handlebar mustache, <laughs> a duster, and a, and a fedora, and steals steal the, the money. Takes it over to his house. Well, like it cuts away for like twenty minutes, and then he shows up at the house with it. Yeah, and she dresses like the Virgin Mary carrying the baby, yeah. and I'm like, what the fuck is going? He's a minister. Right He'd like now? that sort of thing. <laughs> And then he just throws it out the window. <laughs> well, uh, before he breaks it first. He smashes it. He smashes it, it yeah. against the wall and then throws the pieces out the window. And later she just has the head in bed with her. Ugh. <laughs> oh, my God. So weird. So here's, here's a question. and I mean, Aaron may know better from watching it twice, but for those of you who watched it once, do you remember what wise blood is? Isn't yeah, that his seeing power or something like that yeah enoch has the ability to like see somebody and understand them he calls it his wise blood yeah he's not a prophet but he's someone who can be you know be influenced by religion and god he's drawn to prophets he's drawn to important things doesn't it doesn't stop him from yelling at a at a monkey at the zoo because why not? That was an entire scene, and <laughs> it, al- it also doesn't stop him from eating a hot dog 
and then getting upset, and continuing to eat the hot dog, throwing it on the ground, crying, and coming back and being like, I'll get you a Jesus. I know where to get a Jesus. <laughs> well, and he's a horrible reader of people. If that's what he's, he's supposed to have, this wise blood, he's not really figuring people out very well. Yeah, like his motivation. Really poor taste in ties. Yeah. Yeah, his motivation, too, is to like... <laughs> like be around something great or to like prove that he is as good as he thinks he is and like he he's intimidated by the gorilla the real gorilla like and and so they have that whole thing where it's like they're throwing in your face like this guy is no smarter than a gorilla and he thinks the gorilla is like thinks he's better than him or something and then he gets to become a gorilla so that he can shake hands like Ganga did. And that's like the last we see of him, because that's like his mission fulfilled was like. Was it fulfilled, though, because he sits on the bench and he's like, I just want to shake a hand. And then we never see him again. That scene, so it's- that scene where he sneaks up behind the couple and puts his hand out and then they run away and he sits down and says, I just wanted to shake a hand is like the best out of context just show that clip from the whole movie like i want to show that in all my pre-shows for cinemasticus going forward with just no explanation (laughs) or just put it in a trivia night like okay after watching that scene what is this movie about (laughs) (laughs) i thought he was shaking a lot more than hands in that alley I don't know if anybody else thought that. Oh, wow. Yeah, those homeless guys didn't Sad. know he was going to be there. Sad they, gorilla handies. Yeah, they filmed that the alley scene uh, unawares. They gave the the whole, the real guys there like booze, and they didn't tell him anything. And then all of a sudden, a guy comes through in a monkey suit. Those are all real reactions. Yeah. Oh, that that's a legit story. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, like the one guy that's- like like rears up and is like ready to punch him out. And the other guys like yeah. holding him back, but they're all like they all like jump when he comes around the corner, and yeah, that like John Houston didn't tell him that a guy in a gorilla suit was about to come out. Well, and also John Houston putting himself in there as as the preacher yelling at a young kid until he pisses himself. <laughs> yeah, he well, he like, plays uh, Hayes' dad. That's is yeah. his dad or his grandfather? grandfather? I think it's uh, it's his grandfather. Yeah, but that's that's him as a kid like peeing and putting rocks in his shoes and all of that. Yeah. Cause he's full of sin. Cause he looked at that naked girl. All right. Well, uh, Nathan, it is your turn to suggest a movie. What would you like for us to watch? Uh, so it's a film I've, I've thought this group might enjoy, uh, for a little bit now. Um, and I've been wanting to kind of revisit it anyways. Um, it's a period piece that is a little bit like a Hitchcock movie of sorts. Um, it's called Lady Macbeth. Okay. Um, I think it's streaming on Amazon or Hulu or one of those. But um, it's basically uh, about being uh, about a woman who's trapped at home and uh, the husband's away. And what is she going to do about the situation? And she's got nothing to do during the day because she's pretty rich, or the husband was anyways. And it's. It's got some interesting little twists in it, I, as I recall. And well, uh, thanks. I know this was uh, was not the the most entertaining movie. Um, I appreciate everybody watching it and discussing it. Um, and thanks everybody for listening. And um, 
yeah, I think this is a movie that um, it does get better the second time you watch it. Uh, whether you're willing to do that a second time is completely up to you. But uh, that's it for us. We will see you on the next episode of the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast.